Hey, Nate, how are you this week? I'm doing good. Weather is beautiful over here. I just had lunch outside on the porch. It's a pretty good day. Nice. Are we ever not doing good? Oh. Yeah, this is true. <laughs> well, sometimes, you know, the slog of, you know, despair when nobody cares about your idea or, you know, the world falls apart. Yeah, but I don't think maybe those days we aren't recording. This this is true. This is true. <laughs> How are things with you? Pretty good. I just got back from lunch too. Actually met a met a product manager from another company, which was interesting. So I met I met there were there were two guys asking in a Slack channel about referral stuff and it we kind of serendipitously serendipitously met like the three of us on a Zoom maybe a month or so ago and I think one of them ended up becoming a customer because I was like, I'll just brain dump kind of how I see the industry, which was fun. And and also like I'm in the position where I don't feel like I have to sell. I'm just like kind of explaining yeah. the landscape. And then I realized, actually, we jointly realized one of the guys was in Maryland. I'm like, wait, what? You're where? Like close by? <laughs> so then we scheduled, hey, let's just actually meet up for lunch and have kind of a more of a, you know, get to know each other type of thing. So that was pretty fun. Haven't really done as much of that, you know, post COVID. So it's nice. Yeah. That's awesome. I almost forget what like meeting in person is like. <laughs> and then got some brownie points, brought my, my wife home, some, some carry out from there too. So. Oh, nice. Nice. Solid. Yeah. Cool. So what did you want to talk about today? Today? I thought we'd kind of mix up the format a little bit. I know we've been having some interview episodes and we've had a couple mm -hmm. like Nate interviewing Josh episodes, but I think kind of doing a little bit of a check-in on how we're doing. And also we thought it'd be a nice idea to each of us to bring some topics we'd be interested in, in talking about. So I know we listed a couple in a Google doc and my topic for the day is we'll call it the slog since you already mentioned slog the slog of enterprise <laughs> SaaS and selling what's there so got a little bit of rants and a little bit of insights and experience there and obviously you can you do a good job kind of pulling on those threads and asking good questions about it so did you have a topic as well yeah recently i read an article that actually you suggested which was about june the analytics company and kind of their launch and their story. And they did a nice article on it, which we'll link to in the show notes. And thought maybe we could chat about that a bit. Yeah, that was one that definitely teased my brain out and thought it was a good, a good kind of almost self-case study story, but they really got into some nice details that hopefully we'll get into discussing a little bit. Mm -hmm. That sounds like fun. Yeah. So, so where are things at for you, right? So for Referral Rock, things are going well. We got a big release coming up soon. So a lot of things that we probably have been in design for almost a year now, if that makes sense. So a lot of big UI changes, but due to, as you know, in software development, there's still a certain amount of dependencies or pecking order that order of operations that mm -hmm. things need to happen to finally get it all out. Yeah. The door. So we do have a lot of pent up energy of the product that is a lot of them are like dark features that haven't been released well tested, but just like over the yeah. next few weeks, it's going to be a, hopefully a big game changer for us, but, but it's, it'll be, it'll be fun. I think we'll, that could be another topic I could dig a little bit more into on another episode. So. Yeah, that's, that's exciting. 
especially when you have like, I'm sure as a, a founder, you're like, oh, I've got all these ideas. This is so awesome. Let's do it. Let's do it. And then it's like, okay, now we gotta wait for six months for development. And then we gotta wait, you know. We never think it's gonna be this. six months, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. How hard can it be? Yeah. Those famous last words. But yeah, how about how about you? How's your uh, few trips and a uh, little bit of time off, but how's stuff in your world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been doing a little bit of camping and I've got a few days at the cottage booked with uh, some family. So having a bit of relaxation, which is which is really nice. I've been doing a lot of consulting work lately. That's really been ramped up, but now I'm kind of in a lull again. So I'm really thankful for that so I can keep focusing on ideation. And yeah, I've been trying to work on working on, on validating new ideas. And uh, yeah, that's been making some progress. And uh, I think we'll have some things to talk about that down the road a little ways. Cool, cool. Why don't we... I know we kind of talked about which topic we want to cover first. I would say let's cover mm-hmm. June first because I would say enterprise SaaS headbanging, or as we would call it, <laughs> may be of less interest to the general public. It could be somewhat interesting, but I think the June thing might be a little more mm-hmm. topical for our audience. And so if they don't care for the enterprise SaaS off stuff, they can cut out early. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Good call. Yeah, so we'll link to the, the the June article in the show notes so you can see what we're talking about. And it might actually be helpful to read that before you listen to the rest of this. But basically, like they they kind of went through their whole history of like starting starting till today. And I think today they've got around raised for two million or something like that. Is that right? Yeah, it sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they kind of talk about like how they how they made made that transition from idea to getting started and all that. And I know I, I, there's a kind of a few interesting things that I thought of that. The one thing that I saw was they they actually never built a landing page until they had their first 10 customers. Well, do you want, do you want to back up for a second and, and explain, at least in your words, of what they what they do to kind of have our audience have a paint a sure. picture a bit of it? You, you did mention analytics, but analytics is pretty wide. But but yeah, this is true. So how, how would you describe um, it? I'm probably going to butcher it. They're going to cringe if they hear this, but it's basically, from what I understood, it's really simple analytics that you can like you could plug into Segmetrics and pull out all the data from there and have nice reports without doing any code. Like it's tailored for like a project manager type person. You can analyze like funnels and feature feature rollouts and stuff like that. All right, let me correct you. Did I get that? <laughs> pretty close, pretty close. So segment, not segmetrics. <laughs> so so segment, which is bigger and is a, a Twilio company. And I think segment, if our audience doesn't know, is I think what they describe as a CDP now these days, like customer data platform. So where you're sending essentially like user data, user like attributes, in addition to event data, they, some of them more advanced ones have like company entities. So a lot of it kind of mirrors kind of, kind of CRM types of entity and objects with, with events and stuff like that. So yeah, what I, what I found really interesting is how they just already buttoned down and only focus purely on segment and just like, Hey, Mm. we're not going to try to reinvent the wheel everywhere. Let's just attach on to something. And I think that came up in their product discovery or customer discovery kind of practices. And like what I found really interesting about the article as a whole was one, it's very recent. So it's like the recency bias of, you know, even me telling a story about referral rock from when I got started five years ago, 
my brain has shifted. Like it's probably, you mm. know, I'm, I'm telling myself a story that may or may not be as exact as it was to the day. So I feel like this one was pretty recent in addition to it being like very detailed on the kind of dus- customer discovery front. That's what dawned on me as like something interesting to send to you. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found that really useful because a lot of people don't talk about those early days very much, or at least they don't talk about it in a meaningful way. It's like, oh, yeah, we did hard work and then we got customers. It's like, well, that's great. <laughs> Which hard work did you do? Right. And and how I even found this was, I don't think I found the article first. I actually found the product first. I don't remember exactly where I found it. Actually, I might have found it on Twitter, honestly. So I think... Nick Franklin, who's the CEO of Chart Mogul, which I do follow on Twitter, and and I think he actually even tweeted about being like an angel investor or something in it. And I was like, oh, this looks interesting. And the way he even endorsed mm-hmm. it was he's like, hey, like my belief in you know the data and the analytics and side of SaaS and things like that. And then of course, I like I was like, okay, he invested in it. What what makes this thing so interesting? So I dug in a little deeper. Yeah saw what they were doing and it honestly has hit a perfect chord to what I've been sort of doing with referral rock too. Like we've been digging Mm -hmm. more into the onboarding analytics. We don't use segment, but I actually might start using segment just to use June. So (laughs) it kind of hit from a business case. (laughs) Like it, it resonated right away with me, the pain of trying to get these, these types of dashboards and why reinvent the wheel. So. Yeah. Yeah. What was kind of interesting is like their initial thought, like their initial pain that they were looking at was just getting proper analytics, proper customer analytics and people like actually using that information in a meaningful way. They didn't go into it being like, let's add something for Sigmetrics. Is it Sigmetrics? Am I saying it wrong? Segment. Segment. They didn't go into it saying we want to integrate with Segment. They went into it saying we think that people are having trouble getting data out of their analytics platform, you know, what can we do about that? And then customer interview said to them, you know, we should focus on this particular one. Right. And the interesting part too is the, I think, I think both co-founders were previous intercom employees. So I think Mm -hmm. that also in this space, like it gave them a lot of insights to sort of the data that was collected inside intercom because intercom does have those same entities, like in terms of customer data can relate or uh, user data that can be under a you know company entity and also have events on the on these these sort of records and honestly that was that was even the impetus of some of the questions I had for him because I signed up for their trial and then got the nice founder outreach hey would you love to love to chat yeah. with you to which I was like I think I will, <laughs> which doesn't happen as often when you sign up for things. Yeah. But yeah, I got to talking yeah, to him totally. and talked about the early days. And I was like, yeah, I've been an intercom user for so long. And I was like, why haven't they like built out more of these things? They have the, they have my data. They have like my event data. Why can't they, they tie these things together? So I think with mm-hmm. the founder, I kind of, we both sort of lamented in the, in the, the pain of it. He's like, yeah, they just, you know, Intercom never prioritized really sending the data anywhere else. They were only using it for their own internal purposes in terms of like, do your messaging, do all your things, which makes a lot of sense. But mm-hmm. obviously something like Segment, their whole business is collecting and moving the data. And so 
yeah. yeah, it just made a much, much better match for something like adding the analytics layer on top when you have a compatible partner that actually is in the business of sending the data out. Right. And that, that probably is what kind of limited their options too. Like if I'm not sure about intercoms availability, but it sounds like they they aren't exposing that, that analytic data that, cause they originally saw the problem at intercom. So you would think that they would integrate with intercom if they could. Right. And maybe that was part of what guided them towards. Yeah, I think so. Cause even looking at, cause this was the problem I had, like I have all my stuff in intercom have not started using segment yet. But at the same point, I'm like, oh man, it would be great if they could just pull it out. And then even looking at Intercom's API, there isn't an easy way to do it. So I even kind of monkeyed mm-hmm. around with the API a bit. And it's like, oh, this is going to be a pain. Like, yeah. so. hmm. Maybe there's an opportunity there. <laughs> Who knows? Another thing that I thought was kind of interesting was that, like I said earlier, that they they didn't they did all these customer interviews and they didn't ever build a landing page or anything like that until they had a number of paying customers. I found that really interesting. Like they actually managed to get 10 people to sign up without having any marketing material. Yeah. You know, maybe that's, maybe that's just better validation. I don't know. I probably, I mean, I guess, yeah, I, I could see two schools of thought, like kind of trying to find the people and, but I think you've experienced, you've personally experienced this as well with like landing pages. You're trying to, it's it's sort of a chicken and the egg type of thing. It's like, okay, can I write a landing page that compelling and send it out? Or can I more easily recover and talk to a person about their wants and needs and then try to almost walk back into what are those, what are the pain points? Let me talk to 10 people and find out what just, what's, what's the commonality and the pain point in this kind of subject matter mm-hmm. area. And then now if I, let me see if it, I got it correct by, distilling it down to a landing page and then even sending it back to them and saying, Hey, like, is this what you meant? You know, maybe the words weren't exact person, but could have been different versus, you know, the other nine people. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like it it would be a lot more efficient. Like, especially if you could, if you found a way to get, I think they are saying they got a hundred people to talk to them. If you found a way to get those hundred people to talk to you, I feel like you'd be so much farther ahead when it comes to actually building the product or in terms of like coming up with the marketing material, because you've, after a hundred people, like, unless it's all noise, there's gotta be some themes in there that you can pull on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, did, help me with the article. Did it, did they have the idea first? Was the first like thesis on just, Hey, there's all this data and you want to get more analytics, product analytics out of it. Now, tell me about your pain with that. Is that, is that how it started? Yeah. Okay. So they did start with a thesis. It It wasn't just like, Hey, I'm going to talk to 50 product managers and try to figure out their pain. It's like, okay, now I'm really trying to find a needle in a haystack and commonality. Right. No, like, I think, I think you'd have a hard time getting people on a call, like getting a hundred people on a call to just talk about who knows what, I think it's, it'd be a lot easier if you come at them with a pain that's at least somewhat relevant. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's almost like it did. So it's like you at least had a thesis. Now let me test this thesis with who I think is the target customer. And now let me refine it down to, in their mm-hmm. words, refine it down to where the real pain points are and where the opportunity really is. 
Yeah, yeah. And I guess what I really appreciated about the way the article presented it was that it was very much like we haven't even we haven't written any code, we haven't done any product planning. We're just testing out a thesis, and it was like that for their first. It sounded like it was like that for their first hundred interviews, and they just kept track of those interviewees. And when they finally did come up with with an MVP, then they emailed those you know those people that I resonated with, and kind of started the second phase at that point. Yeah, that's interesting because like I, what's funny, I've been on the receiving end of being interviewed for different things. Um, Hmm. It's seldom that I actually get followed back up with, if that makes sense. Like they, even with it, you know, maybe there'll be a few additional questions here or there, but, but what's funny is you spend a lot of time on that interview, establishing a rapport and building a relationship. And sometimes I'm like, I don't even hear what happened. And it's kind of, sort of annoying, like on the back end, like, hey, I expressed some time. And even if I almost want to know what the answers are, right? Like, because it's like they're, yeah. And, and I feel like it's a, it's almost a missed opportunity to get some evangelists early on. And I mean, maybe I was just on the flip side. Maybe I was the anomaly that there was no cheese down that tunnel yeah. with me. <laughs> so maybe it's just me, but um, not sure everyone views. It seems like they did a really nice job with that too. Yeah, that is a good point, actually, because like it sounds like from what you're saying, it sounds like you want to be part of the journey, right? Like and like know that your your contribution helped them in some way. And so almost the 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 build in public type of mentality would really help there. Yeah, like I'm already a little vested in it at this point. Like I've I've spent some time, I put some thought and headspace into it. And maybe it's just an ego thing, but I want to be like, well, what did everyone else think? Like, which side am I on? Yeah. Am I in? The, am I the anomaly? Am I the ten percent, or am I? Or did I help drive that insight? Or I'm just like everybody else, which is fine too. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, maybe maybe they've gotten feedback from, or people, maybe they thought like people might think that you know founders are busy, they don't have time for this. You know, I don't want to spam them. They're already nervous and jerky already at that point in the. And their company building phase, but I think you're right. I think that's a that's a missed opportunity there. Yeah, that's true. I can see. I can definitely see the other side. I can see you being on the other side and being like, "Hey, I've already wasted enough of your time. I don't want to bother you any further." But did you find anything else that's that stuck out for you? Yeah, so that was that was kind of it. Like the, I think maybe just to close it off, just like the the ten, the, they got the ten customers before they built any marketing material, and then they they built out the marketing material only after they had those ten people, and they kind of felt like they knew their sales process, and then they went even further and automated it, and then that like had disastrous effects. <laughs> so just the, I think that was just neat how they sold it before working on the marketing material. I always kind of like to work on the marketing material because it. I think it makes me feel good or makes me feel like I make, helps me work through the problem in my head maybe, but definitely could save a lot of time not doing that. Yeah. Cause I feel like the marketing stuff has to be refined and concise and really to a point. So you really have to have a strong point mm. of view then. And if you, if you do that too early, it could be polarizing to the people that it's not more mm. cause you're not going to hear, you're only going to hear the signal from the people that, that, you know, resonate with that or but yeah yeah okay last thing i would note is just like again just reverbing on the on the recency of this that i thought was really interesting because they even have some things Mm -hmm. like their product hunt launch and some other things that some of this information is is 
is really insightful based off of time, like because it was so recent, where if you went and mm-hmm. re- read how someone did a product hunt launch like two years ago, it's like, yeah, I don't know if that applies anymore. So yeah, so yeah, I thought that was really, really interesting as well and, and helpful too. Cool. Do we want to move on to our so second to topic? talk about enterprise? <laughs> oh, sure. Yep. If you're up for it. Yep. So yeah, this kind of came up a little bit. We don't have to spend a lot of drudgery on it, but you know, Referral Rock has, you know, when I categorize enterprise um, SaaS, I also just mean in general, more of like big contracts, SLAs, like everyone that is not going to just click check out and buy with a credit card type of thing. So, and we've had different levels of it. Like, you know, essentially we try to steer people into being as frictionless as possible for us and for them. But, you know, with some of these <laughs> companies, um, they just need, they they need to go through legal, they need to go through uh, procurement, they need to go through all of these things. And yeah, it's been it's interesting because we try to hold the line on it. It's, it's easy to kind of want to be like, oh, there's a customer that's interesting and they're willing to pay a lot more. But what, what mm-hmm. happens in reality is like, for us, it makes more sense to try to not spend too many resources on that. So if the, if the, if the champion over there, the person that wants to buy, the individual is really strong, like letting them drive the process and hopefully, you know, not, we don't have to do anything outside of our normal scope, but, but it does happen. Right. Like, I guess, I guess what I kind of see from the outside is it seems like if you get a big enterprise client, yeah, sure. They're going to pay you lots of money, which is great. But I feel like they just take up so much of your headspace with all of the, the nuance and, you know, special requirements and not to mention if they put constraints on your development and that sort of thing. Yeah. And I think that's an area where you have to essentially be more prescriptive on that and really think it through and not get all eyes get big at the size of the potential check. Like for us, we do have the resources. Like we do have a sales team that is built out that knows this and knows how to do it, knows how to work with these types of customers. You know, we're not, Mm -hmm. we don't have a legal department, but I do have a a strong operations side of our team that can go through Mm. contracts and, Again, like first ball thrown after, okay, you're not going to pay over credit card. It's like, okay, use our contract. And we try to get them to use our contract as much, as much as possible. But if the dollar value is big enough, okay, I guess we can use your contract. But then it's going to require a lot more back and forth with lawyers. And then you get into insurance and you get into all kinds of other things. But like we, we, we don't, there were times we've definitely added some custom dev for certain features, but <clears throat> it's probably a different story for another day. But <laughs> remind me about that one. That's a that's a good one. There are all kinds of other things like security checklists. And a lot of it, I think, is just you have to be cognizant of your resources, cognizant of what you're willing to do. And again, not get blindsided by the value. Because what's funny is you can go back and look at it and be like, well, that's just it's really only as big as like five normal customers. And those are so much less painful. And then you kind of go, yeah. let me make sure this number is big enough so that if I do go through this pain, it is worth the while. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Have you ever like had 
one of these enterprise things kind of go bad where you committed to something that you look back on and you're like, I shouldn't have. No, I don't think we've had too many of those. I think in those moments, I think I did at least have the foresight enough to know what potential pain there could be. And then hmm. either one ratcheted up the price or said no to very specific things like where I would be concerned and thought about kind of mitigating that risk up front. And some people walked away and I was fine with that. Mm -hmm. And other ones signed. And it was like from the negotiation and the, the pricing standpoint, you have to be like, I feel like high enough that you're going to be happy if you win, but not really upset if you lose. That's like my mentality going into right. setting these numbers. Yeah. But I guess if you're well aware of the pain that you could potentially have, then I think that probably helps to inform you. Because like on some level, you could even just say, for my, you know, my sense of well-being, I just don't want to deal with this level of craziness. Like I don't care how big the check is. Yeah. You know, there's there's probably some there's probably something that if somebody asked you for, you'd just say, Yeah, no, that's not gonna happen. Yeah, no, there are definitely times for that. And there's, again, it comes down to resources. It's like, how much do I need that cash? <laughs> or, mm. <laughs> uh, or, or on the flip side, like how much of my time and resources is this going to be brought in where I'm not going to enjoy it and I'm going to be getting dragged through the mud on this mm -hmm. and I'm going to hate it for it. But, you know, I feel like there's a, there's a balance that you just have to make that call on. And it's different for everyone, right? Like some people yeah. don't ever want to do it. And there's some indie indie hackers, you know, and they're just like, I want to stay self-service. I never want to give that level of support. And I don't want to build out a team that could help that. And that's that's fine too. I mean, there's no harm in it. I think the biggest part is thinking it through and recognizing your individual situation and the resources you might be in. Because let's say you have a mortgage <laughs> and this is the only way money's coming in. And it's like, okay, I can... I can get 50 grand for this contract and yes, it will be, you know, it's a little divergent from our roadmap or it's a little other things. And that might be the right call for you that day versus, mm -hmm. you know, shelving the project, putting it more on a side project and having to go back and find consulting or, or full-time work. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you, that's totally true. Like your situation can really make a difference there. You mentioned kind of having like a pre-canned contract or things like that. Do you kind of have like a process that you use when someone says, I don't want to pay by credit card? You're like, oh boy, here we go. Do you have a kind of a process that you take them down to kind of ease that or to try and steer them away from being overly special? Yeah, there's definitely things like that. So once, once the dollar values are big enough, you actually want to go away from credit cards because the fees, like you... Hmm. Oh yeah, and it definitely opens up options for checks and ACH and things like that. But then also, you know, even the 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 company paying for it doesn't want to write you a check every month. So you're like, okay, well, I need mm. I need six months, or I need a, a twelve month, or I need an annual type of thing. So that's kind of nice because you get the big check up front as soon as like contracts are signed and everything else, and you got a big check coming on. So I th I think that's that's helpful, and you don't have the percentage. But you did ask like. Basically, there are these just different levels and notches that you slowly move down from for different reasons. Like we talked about, you know, the payment, the payment options, but there's other ones in terms of, like I said, the contracts. It starts out with 
Will you checkbox our terms and conditions? Great. The next level down is, yeah. <laughs> okay, you'll use our standard contract. And even within yeah. our standard contract, here are the couple clauses that we are okay with bending on. Yeah. yeah. And then the next level, the final level, the most painful one is like using their contract. So, and I think there's other ones in the enterprise selling space that get to that. Like the other one that comes to mind that I did want to chat a little bit about before we wrap this episode is is on security, right? So like cybersecurity, mm. all these other things. So these often come in a similar, I guess, pecking order or or stair step approach where the first one we always get, which is like, you know, how you'll get a here's our questionnaire, fill this out. Or do you have SOC 2 compliance? Or do you have all these other things? And our first response is usually like, well, we have these standard security docs that we'll send you and mm. feel free to fill them out. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> we don't want to do that. Paperwork. Right, essentially it's like, it's re- fulfilling a an RFP type of thing. It's all these questions spoken in their language, kind of like their contract. And mm-hmm. again, you have to be confident enough that like, hey, I don't want to spend hours trying to like fill in their blanks Mm. but at least let's see if they bite on this let's see if the internal champion is strong enough or they have the teams or the means internally to like okay i'll take those and then i'll fill it out and maybe i'll send it back to you can you check it so that's one step and then the interesting one that i thought you know i sent out to a slack group was like got some other interesting ones back and you know there's obviously all kinds of scanning software all kinds of like reports you can give and those are helpful to mm-hmm. give like, mm-hmm. we use Detectify and it kind of can show some that we d- are diligent about scanning and doing vulnerability assessments. And and here's our grade. We're not telling you the details of it because that would probably be a security risk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was interesting. And one of the ones that came up more, more of late that I've had some other friends use is security scorecard. Have you seen that one? Okay, yeah. I've heard of it, but I haven't looked at it. So just before we wrap, it was an interesting business model that I thought was kind of worth talking about a little bit, which is, so as a vendor, right, as a person that is providing services, like you can mm-hmm. use the security scorecard for free. So I, I haven't filled it out, but essentially it's like a questionnaire, free to use, gives you an assessment, gives you a mm-hmm. score. And I think it does have some scanning software. So it serves as a purpose for me to say, hey, Nate, hope you trust Referral Rock, but I filled out this security scorecard and here's all the details. And maybe that'll help you sleep better at night. Maybe that'll help you help us win the mm-hmm. contract with you. Yeah. So that's free, which is interesting because a lot of okay. things charge for scanning and some things like that. But when I dug into it, because I looked at their website, I'm like, how does this work? This is really interesting. And what I did find out is what someone has to pay for is on the like your side of the equation. You're the one that is vetting mm-hmm. a dozen vendors or trying to keep like, hey, I've got to report up to my vendors because I'm using AWS and mm-hmm. Azure and SendGrid and Twilio or whatever all these other services are. But I'm I'm the person in the middle that is using all these other services. And yeah. I also might use some other ancillary ones. And what I could do is send them the security scorecard to fill out. And now I, as a as a vendor one level up that is using other vendors, can yeah. now manage all of my risk because I forced everyone to fill out these security scorecards. So it was like 
the security scorecards are free to fill out. And then what they really want to do, what they're really selling is the management of someone managing multiple scorecards, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So yeah. Huh. That's clever. Yeah. So I thought it was a really interesting, smart kind of freemium business model. Cause it's like, Hey, we're giving away free. We're giving value to a vendor that's filling mm-hmm. this out that wants to prove their, their, you know, yeah. risk, risk, like risk, like low level of risk or whatever. Yeah. So, and, but they don't charge the, the customer, like the customer that's evaluating your software. Like if someone came to you mm-hmm. and you filled out the free card, your co- client could view it for free. It's only when you have a middle tier that they pay. Well, the client would be able to view it for free, but they want to get that client to really subscribe to the service, or maybe they're the ones that even sent it to me in the initial place because it fills a slot in mm-hmm. their book as they're managing risk across multiple. So anyone that's doing one to many, like one, I have mine and I'm managing the risk of multiple vendors, one for my own mm-hmm. internal needs, like my own, let's say, security officer needs, or for the people buying from me that want to know that I'm managing risk because in any one of these, in any one of like any of these contracts, it's like, okay, are you managing your risk? And are you keeping track of any vendors that we might be also being managed by because by proxy you're exposed by them? So it's kind of this, this, yeah. you know, weird dependency and pecking order thing. But it is the people that end up paying are the ones that Essentially, it's like I'm sitting here and I have 10 scorecards to manage. Any individual vendor Mm -hmm. I bring in to fill out one scorecard, that end person is not paying, but I'm paying to manage 10 or 20 of them or manage like the the risk across multiple vendors that I'm dealing with. Yeah, yeah. That is really cool. So yeah, it was an interesting closed loop model where they're incentivized because, hey, I'm already paying for the platform. Now I'll just get other people to use it and now I yeah, now yeah. I can see it all like in my own space. So Yeah, yeah. Huh. So you have lots of lots of different requirements for these enterprise SaaS people. Yep. Sounds like sounds like fun. <laughs> and by fun I mean not fun. <laughs> yeah. Fortunately I have a great team that is happy to kind of bear more of the brunt and and, and the details of it. And I'm also happy to mm. say on to them like let's just charge more that sounds painful let's charge more does does that feel better does that feel (laughs) like it's worth it for us so yeah yeah so anyway cool i i like this format what do you think yeah yeah this is cool this is cool okay all right hope our hope our listeners enjoy but yeah i'll see you next week thanks nate see ya thanks for joining us today If you enjoyed our podcast, please share with a friend. We're new to this podcasting thing, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. Tweet us at Searching for SAS on Twitter. That's Searching, the number four, SAS. Or send an email to searchingforsass at gmail.com. See you next week.